You're listening to Behind the Ops, presented by Tulip. Not on. Hello. <laughs> Guess what I was reading the other day? You were reading the New York Times uh, business section. No, I unfortunately rarely read the New York Times business section. I was, however, uh, looking through the CIA espionage manual. Are you familiar? Somewhat. Well, <laughs> why, why would you read that? Uh, there was a lot of uh, coverage, maybe viral coverage, on the CIA espionage manual and how some of these things, and like some of them were like, mm-hmm. you know, um, let blades go dull so people can't sharpen their saws and, you know, other stuff that's like really specific to um, sabotaging factories. Mm-hmm. Um, but a few of the things in there were more about communication and collaboration and they seemed really similar to bad working environments. It was basically like create a bad working environment. (laughs) And it seems like they understand that messing with people, like people as like the core of an organization can in a lot of ways be more effective than like blowing something up Yeah, and had a lot of interesting tactics that they were intentionally using. But I think a lot of teams may unintentionally have in place that uh, hurt their productivity. Yeah, I guess um, they have a track record of using it on governments too. So <laughs> it made those things pretty dysfunctional. You could uh, let our, our listeners draw their conclusions all the way across. Yeah, I mean, these, you know, when it comes to special operations, like some of them got declassified, I guess. But um, espionage is uh, it's a human business for sure. And I like this idea you're bringing up of bureaucracy, like whether it's a government and its bureaucracy or a large corporate bureaucracy, some of the elements of that culture and structure can really prevent innovation and improvement and really like the individuals in these organizations from having good well-being and enjoying their work, being productive. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's not fun to say, but, you know, most large-scale organization, they can say what they want, but they're really designed to control and get predictable output, which usually is in uh, tension with what we consider innovation and, you know, fast-moving startups and all that kind of stuff, right? So some of it is just like facts of life. You know, we we need structures for making big organization work. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's the struggle, like to keep them a place where humans can flourish. And uh, I, I think, you know, not everybody needs innovation. You know, people also can need need other things like support for their growth or mm-hmm. like um, flexibility for how they want to live their lives and or opportunities to change course. And, you know, you can start list a long list of things. <laughs> I don't know, I think that like the traditional way of, um, and again, I'm not trying to condense like m- several decades of organizational development, you know, theory and practice into our 15 minutes here. But, <laughs> you know, since we're talking about this, if you think about organizations that really came from the bureaucracy or, or things like, you know, the military, Mm-hmm. Ford is very famously in like uh, adopted military type structures to develop large organization that suddenly employed a lot of people uh, and did this thing we call mass production. Mm-hmm. So that used a lot of hierarchy and departments and siloing and yeah. all those kind of things, right? And then fast forwards to 
Toyota production system and lean and like sort of kind of break the silos and like having like one piece flows and all the things that kind of go actually not a not a small organization mm-hmm. but structured completely different but still have elements of some hierarchy and then like fast forward again and then like suddenly like we in the agile scrum tech world that we roam you know it's like startups that become larger companies and they all like uh, do huddles and stand-ups and uh, you know throw away the traditional waterfall stuff but still do technical product and project management and still you see the the small company trying to like become better and more organized and you see the established company say well you know we have to hire a scrum master now because mm-hmm. we have to adopt scrum right so like all these things are kind of coexisting which I think is like pretty interesting I like the scrum example because you The way you're talking through like tech companies, culture in a lot of ways becomes the structure there. And your example of like the bigger company hiring the scrum master is like starting with the structure, expecting that structure will build culture, which kind of shows it's so it's so true. And it's, it's like so funny. Well, I thought we could play a game. Okay, another game. <laughs> a game based off of the CIA espionage oh booklet. Um, so I have five examples, and I will read them to you. And I want to know which ones you think are from a few online articles about bad corporate culture and which ones are specific tactics included in the CIA espionage manual. Mm-hmm. This is a pretty hard quiz. <laughs> so <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> some forgiveness if you don't get these right. Okay. Um, so haggle over precise wording. Delay putting calls through or disconnect them accidentally. Make speeches and points with long anecdotes. Advocate caution. Tell colleagues to be reasonable and avoid haste. And promote undeserving workers. Mm-hmm. I think all of them can be in the CIA uh, espionage book, how to like uh, infiltrate a company and uh, kind of take it over from within. This was a trap quiz. They were all from the espionage book. So A plus to not done for uh, getting a perfect score on the quiz. Okay. <laughs> all, uh, all specifically mentioned as uh, tactics to undermine your organization. So if you're hearing this and these things sound like things happening on your team, something to uh, correct for sure. Also, if you're observing it in your workplace, you, you know, you might want to look for a different perspective. work yeah <laughs> just do something else because there's two options either your company really sucks or this is taking over your <laughs> workplace both not great well I when I was thinking about this like article and and just how organizational cultures work uh, one of the things that came to mind is your obsession with the fractal company yeah This is, it feels like confession. It every does. time we talk, it's like you. <laughs> Your deep secret. Yeah, because every time we talk, you just reveal one more thing that I always like talk about. So, yeah. What do you want to know about Fractal Company? Well, I don't know that our listeners know what that is. So why don't we start yeah. with what it is? The Fractal Company, since you've asked. Yes. <laughs> is uh, the most exciting, boring book I've ever read. Okay. It's a book. The full, the full title is The Fractal Company, A Revolution in Corporate Culture. It was written by uh, Hans-Jorgen Wonke, 
and with a bunch of his students, and it was published in 1993. And this research, basically, it, it's mostly focused on corporate structure and development of uh, manufacturing organizations. And the main theme is like, how do you can think about the atomic element that creates an organization more as a fractal as opposed to, you know, different things that we're hearing like pods or tribes or like leaves in a tree like hierarchy of an org chart. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's like very nice um, overview of uh, org development for the org development nerds out there. Um, really great stuff in the beginning. But then it's kind of like developing this ideas around uh, fractals. Fractals are you know naturally occurring. There's many types of fractals and they're mathematical. So they're organized, but they're also cha- chaotic. I love the science connection here, especially yeah. when you're talking about like natural shapes and the strength of a natural shape versus what are the words that come to mind when you talk about big organizations? You talk about rigid, hierarchy, like box shape, things break if they need to change. And so it's really a, a beautiful math science metaphor yeah. for how people can work together. Just to build on a point, it's more than that. It's like the word that come to my mind is like artificial. Mm. and uh, complex mm. and in, in a way it's like we organize in society naturally but we use pretty abstract things like you know a company or you know a stock market all these concepts like to organize a larger group of humans in a system to do something mm-hmm. and those are very hard to understand and figure out how they work but like they're, they're built on like principles that we all understand like how many times you heard this oh yeah we, we have a really flat structure for a company Mm -hmm. And to me, that's like the most like silly thing to say, because like hierarchies are, you know, they're there because that's how we build societies. But if you're trying to build an organization, say like, okay, this is the hierarchy and this is why it works. And that's like the old world where power was was driving the hierarchy, like who has more direct reports and who has more subdivisions and whatever. And now it moved to networks. So it's not like there's no hierarchy, but the hierarchy is more like in how the information flows in in the company, and then it becomes like, okay, well, well what's a better description of the form of, a, of an organization? It's just so hard to capture. Uh, like, you, you look at an org chart, but it's okay, see, I see this person, this is his boss, and that's their boss, or whatever. But does it really tell you, like, how it works? I love this, like, extending the network piece, like, that you have people as these different nodes, right? And the information that they're sharing is, like, knowledge and also their domain expertise, their experience, and they can kind of jump between and work with other interfaces, I think is a word you use often. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily have to be someone who reports up and over, like have lines they kind yeah. of naturally find and negotiate difference in order to accomplish things. Yeah. So I can do a quick read of like the key ideas there that were like so fascinating to me. So it's like, for example, around order in chaos, two complementary views of the world. It also really fits the type of orgs I like, which is like early stage that are almost by definition chaotic. So this comes from Henri Poincaré, you know, who was like the, one of the main thinker, uh, French mathematician. It's like he attempted to predict plane orbits, you know, and he was taking into account the influence of each other. And he arrived in, in this conclusion that sort of minimal deviation, change the calculation, but also shows them the order in the same time. And it, and it's like, that's exactly what I'm feeling every day, you know, at work. It's like, <laughs> there's like, I figured out some stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but then all the stuff that I figured out, are, is that, okay, it solves the problem now. Is that noise? 
later or is that like how the order is going to be and for how long because like early stage organization are so dynamic you know i also think like later stage organization are dynamic i've just like kind of left them more than a decade ago so you know i think that's the piece maybe if we pull it if it's one thing to apply and kind of live in that type of environment in a startup uh, but if you're at a big company or even in a place that needs a lot more structure because of yeah. compliance or like specifications or whatnot, what are the learnings from like Fractal Company for Shopfloor? For Shopfloor, I think they spend more than Shopfloor, so, but I can tell you like the, the key traits. So Fractals are self-similar. You know, they have this idea of self-similarity. So it's, it's good, you know, because we talk about the culture and like we're, we're very different you know, because we're different, yeah. but but we're also part of the same culture. So that's nice. That works with Fractal. You can have a big one. You can have a small one. You can have a composed one. Uh, they self-organize. Okay. So procedures are organized uh, by rationale, but also by physics, like thinking about how snowflakes f- fall. Like, looks mm-hmm. like all uniform, but it's all just a bunch of fractals. And like, look at that and say like, is this a mess? No, it's like beautiful snow, you know? And uh, self-optimization. So apply that to teams. I think teams that kind of uh, learn how to like measure themselves and self-optimize, and we call this sometimes data-driven, that that's like pretty obvious. Um, goal orientation. So some fractals, you know, if like I, I'll give you an example, like on Tulip, you know, we started building all those uh, subsidiaries overseas to kind of support our global customer base. And mm-hmm. so it's like new fractals kind of forming. Mm-hmm. They start really small, but you know. So the first, like when you have a goal of the fractal, like right now, the big HQ fractal is trying to, like to scale up itself, like from the scale we got. But the small one is actually trying to do different things. So they have different goal orientation, but they're like the same fractal. So it's kind of interesting, and that's that's what this book is all about. It's like really uh, applying on like the decentralized, highly measured systems that kind of em- emphasize on on the value of the information in the network and how it operates over. Uh, rigid control and highly processed sort of centric as opposed to emergent process type of uh, reality. That, and that I think on your point of goal orientation and just, you know, like why why would we care other than like this is a good place to like work? I'll tell you because self-organization means that uh, you're getting freedom. And so if you're getting freedom, it's like means that you have to deal with like what responsibility means. We're just going to care about it. And uh, if not, sort of like the elements or your fractal or the fractals around you will notice because they have the same thing. And so it's like self-balancing system. Honestly, in, in extreme, uh, the anarchist Manuel Fulin, which like maybe, I don't know if somebody wrote that, but that would be like an interesting... TM. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> would be listeners. like, th- you don't need managers. Mm-hmm. All, all you need is data and know what the customer wants. You don't need structure. Like the the only thing that rules is customer. I think that this is too utopian. You know, I'm I'm not an anarchist. <laughs> you know. But some amount of freedom is required to truly have innovation. Yeah. When you have, you can't have great people innovating and not give them some freedom. Yes, because the innovation doesn't happen when you're in total structure. You know, you have to do different things to, like to make sure innovation happens. I think we're doing innovation here on a daily basis, but like when we want more, like we actually create artificial environments, like we call this a hackathon. But is it really artificial? Maybe the date we set and with the topic we set, but I see all these like mini hackathons happening all the time. Mm-hmm. So people have space to come up with. Yeah, things. so it's more like ceremonial or something like that. In the shop floor, we say, oh yeah, they go and they do, they found a better way to do it, Pokeyoko, 
you know, it's like a, a continuous improvement, whatever, but it's people solving problems. Okay. So it's a different environment, but to me, it's also innovation. Well, we will link the, for those of you who really want to read the Fractal Company book, yep. we'll share the title as well as a few articles that engage with the concept as well as the CIA manual. Well, until next time, or we can haggle over precise wording and do a speech for the listeners at the end. Yeah. I have to like figure out if the CIA has infiltrated Tulip by now. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I got paranoid. Behind the Ops is brought to you by Tulip. Connect the people, machines, devices, and systems used in your production and logistics processes with our frontline operations platform. Visit tulip.co to learn more. This show is produced by Gabby Ellenbeck and edited by Tom Obarski. If you enjoyed listening, support the show by leaving us a quick rating or review. It really helps. If you have feedback for this or any of our other episodes, you can reach us at behindtheops at tulip.co.